This is the pen and the yod. This week's portion is Lech Lecha. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Ancham at Synagogue in Chicago sits down with author Jonathan Eig and talks about the tears of Hagar and the fulfillment of a bitter prophecy. So in the portion of Lech Lecha, Abraham gets the call that God is going to make his descendants into a great nation. God promises a land and a destiny. And Abraham follows. But later in the portion, we get the fine print. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. That is, when you you don't get the fine print in the Torah, it is an uh uh-oh moment. Yeah, you better read it carefully. Exactly. Abraham has a covenantal experience. God appears to him in the form of a fiery oven. And God identifies God's self. It's really a kind of a terrifying vision. Abraham has to cut animals in half, and God and Abraham are going to have to pass through these different animals as if to say, this is what's going to happen if you don't follow this covenant. So it's really, the whole thing is terrifying. Mm -hmm. It happens at night. But then God says this to Abraham, to Avram actually, his name hasn't changed yet. Know well that your offspring shall be strangers in a land not theirs, and they shall be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will execute judgment on the nation. They shall serve, and in the end, they shall go free with great wealth. This is the Egyptian experience that's already, like, it's already imprinted. This is what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to take that deal. Uh, If I'm selfish, right, I say, "Eh, I'm going to pass on that. I'd like my kids just to stay here. I don't need the 400 years of slavery. There's no guarantee you're going to change your mind after 400 years. So uh, I'm just, I'm good. You know, maybe I, I was and a little hasty here. Yeah, and he's he's old. He's not really into having kids at this point, right? He's he's not, he doesn't want to have to do the soccer coaching and all of that at this age. I hadn't quite thought about it that way, but yeah, I, I, it's a lot. So having children, this isn't just a panacea. There's fine print here. This is going to be challenging. And there's another question. Why? Nothing. I don't even have a child, Abraham might be thinking, Avram is thinking to himself. Right. And suddenly, um, they're going to be enslaved. Why is that? Yeah, why can't we skip that part, God? I mean, it's, you got the option, right? And what's causing it? So one of the rules of reading Torah carefully is that almost always, when a question like this arises in the Torah, the Torah is going to answer the question. It's going to give you an answer. It may not be the answer, but it's going to give you an answer that you can begin to understand what the Torah is uh, is getting at. And so the next chapter of the Torah reading begins as follows. Sarai, Avram's wife, had borne him no children. We knew this already. This was part of the miracle of the promise that I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, God doesn't say that I'm going to make you and Sarah into a great nation. But the Torah is specific here. We only know about Sarai, and we also know that she is childless and that she is past the age of women. In other words, she's not capable of bearing children. And the very next line, she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Why does the Torah have to tell you she's Egyptian? Right. So is that the reference we're looking for? And her name is Hagar. So Avram is the father of the many. 
Sarai is the majestic one. That's their names indicate. Hagar, Hagar, the stranger. Mm -hmm. So how will Avram and Sarai treat this woman who is Hagar, the stranger? And how is that going to determine, since we've already read ahead and know that we're going to be slaves into Egypt, how does this all come about? What goes around comes around. Yeah, and, and clearly this isn't being reported live. We have perspective, and the author knows what's going to happen, and this becomes a tale about justice. Or injustice, or injustice. and the consequences of it, what's going to happen. Avram and Sarai are going to follow the mores of the Mesopotamian world they're living in. To have male children was not only important, it was vital. Whether you are a farmer or a shepherd, you're going to need able-bodied men to do the kind of work that needs to be done. So everything is going to ride on this. And in a patriarchal society, you're going to have to have a male heir to build this nation. In that world... If a woman was not able to bear children, of course, in that universe, it was always the woman's problem, but never the man's problem. Right. Then the wife was duty-bound to give over her handmaid or her number one servant to her husband to bear children with. And that's what's happening here. They're going to take Hagar, and she's going to be the one to bear a child. So they're following the rules of their society, but God never told them to do this. They're making this choice. Even though Sarah is past the age of which she might be expected to bear children, right? Well, if God is God, can't God just do anything? Mm -hmm. So that's, that, that's the problem here. Abraham's looking at his wife and he's looking at himself and says, you know, honey, we're not getting any younger. Here we are. God said we're going to have children. Let's do it this way. Right. And that decision is going to lead to a whole host of problems because so, they do have a child. So it's the human error that comes into play here. It's, it's the judgment calls that we all have to make because God isn't writing us out that detailed of a set of orders. Well, it, it's the faith and the perspective that comes with faith that's missing here. Mm. They're not looking at this with a wider perspective than just this moment in time. God had made a promise, but they're not waiting for God's plan to unfold. But they believe they're acting in faith, don't you think? I think on one level, I think this is part of the learning curve mm -hmm. of the story. Because what happens in the story is that, yes, they do have a child. The child's name is Ishmael. And from the very start, Sarai is noticing that Hagar is not just a surrogate, in the sense that she's just there to provide the child for them, Sarah, Sarai, and Avram. But Avram has feelings for her. And Hagar is beginning to treat Sarai not the same. She's, mm -hmm. she's got this relationship now. And things are brewing in this home. As they inevitably will. And as humans are bound to make these kind of mistakes. I mean, all of us act in faith. All of us do what we think at the moment is right. Most of the time, we're trying to do what we think is right. And balancing our needs and the needs of the people around us, and you know, they get it wrong. That's right, except that Sarai is, is going to begin to mistreat uh, Hagar. And she says to Avram, the wrong done me is your fault. I myself put my maid in your hands. Now that she sees that she is pregnant, 
I am lowered in her esteem. The Lord, decide between you and me. Avram said to Sarai, your maid is in your hands. You know what? You deal with her as, as you see fit. I'm out of this. Avram doesn't seem to want to take responsibility. And Sarai, I think, is somewhat of a victim. She lives in a patriarchal society. This is how things work in this world. And Avram, in her presentation, isn't being fair to her. Mm -hmm. Doesn't really appreciate it. Okay, so you deal with her. So what does she do? And Sarai treated her, meaning Hagar, harshly, and she ran away. Perhaps Avram should have looked at the situation and said, here's what I'm going to do differently. Here's what we need to do. Sit down together. And here's how this is going to work. I'm going to speak to Hagar. We'll speak to her together. But this is how we're going to manage our household. But instead, Abram just says, you know, okay, you want to deal with this? Here, you take it. And Hagar is the one person in this situation who has no power. She has nothing. And then she runs away. It would have taken a miracle to navigate this successfully, I think. This was a messy situation. You have... um you know, people who believe they're acting in the faith of God. God has said you you will have children and you will bring forth a nation. So Avram believes this is the way it's going to happen. We need Hagar. So it seems almost impossible for them to have avoided this kind of a mess. But life is messy. Right. But life is always messy. So can't we just... Uh, and what gets what? Can't we just move along? Can't we just work it out? What's, well, why, why, do would... we, why do we have to... Go through 400 years of slavery because of these, these human errors. Because there was someone in the middle. Because if it was just between Sarai and Avram, that'd be one thing. But Hagar runs away. She goes out into the desert and an angel comes to her and says to her, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? It's really a, kind of a remarkable angelic way of talking to people. Mm-hmm. You know, most people don't say where you know where you're coming from, where you're going. Like they don't usually ask you an existential question. Right. And she says, "I'm running away from my mistress Sarai." And the angel said to her, "Go back to your mistress. Submit to her harsh treatment." And the angel of the Lord said to her, "I will greatly increase your offspring, and they shall be too many to count. Behold, you are with a child." And you shall bear a son, and you shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has paid heed to your suffering. She's part of this divine plan as well. Now, what if Avram and Sarai had made a different choice? That's an interesting question. But I think that the parallels to this story is so much a part of the American experience. The mores of the 17th century, the mores of the 18th century, the way finance and commerce were done, was based on enslaving people. Right. 400 years of slavery is what you need to get to the, uh, to have your own nation, except we're still waiting in the American experiment. But what interests me is how much of this really is a story about faith and justice. Because God says, even from the beginning, you're going to have to go through the 400 years of slavery. So it's, it's almost as if it's predestined. He knows that they're going to make these mistakes. He knows, God knows that there must be a price paid and that these lessons about justice must be learned. Or maybe God is saying to Avram, this is what's out there. And maybe God is expecting him to put the pieces together. Maybe you can change history. That's something that is always out there. You can change history. We don't have to go down this road. The story could have been different. They 
could have made a commitment to faith, or Avram could have gone to God and said, God, I'm old. I don't have children. What's the plan here? Right. But they don't do that. And is Avram the driver in this? Maybe. But at the end of the day, people suffer, and there are consequences for those actions. Our choices matter at the end of the day, and they don't just matter for us. They matter for the descendants. They matter for people. How we model behavior for our children is going to redound going forward. The kind of family structures we build, all of that has resonance. Maybe not quite as dramatically as you know the enslavement of your people, but maybe there are different kinds of enslavements. Maybe we are creating chains of a different kind by continuing family behaviors going forward from one generation to the next. How do we break through them? How do we see something more? Well, there's no question we're all chained to our pasts. We're all chained to our histories. And you can fight and you can try to break those chains. And we can change our lives and we can change that arc of history. But you can't change the past. No, but I think that this is a story about what happened. But what archetypal stories do for us is they also offer the, us the opportunity to think about what could have been different and how the trajectory might have changed with different choices, broader perspectives, and I think a better moral path. Hagar is also an archetype. She's the stranger. She's the faceless one. She's the person who gets ground up in this decision-making process, both on a personal level and on a national level. So it's a story worth considering, isn't it? Yeah, and then thinking about if you've realized what you could have done differently, what should you do differently next time around, right? Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you.